ask if you would, would you take your Bibles and stand together with me for the text for this morning's message? We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I want to turn your attention to verse 9. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. We're just going to read that first sentence in that verse. And we'll see what the Lord has for us. Romans 12, 9. The Bible says, Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be without dissimulation or without hypocrisy. That's a short sentence, but a massive subject. Love is a massive subject. There's so many facets we could talk about. So what we're going to do, what we're going to start this morning and talk about in the next few messages in Romans is true love. True love. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you. We are thankful for your grace and your mercy, for allowing us to be here and and to fellowship together, to sing praises to you, Lord, as we... Seek to honor you. So as we come to the reading of your word and, and the preaching, Lord, that you would, we ask that you would remove the distractions in our mind and help us to have open hearts and open ears. Help us to see where we fail in loving you and loving others. And strengthen us that we might go from here better, made better by you and by your word, Lord. So I ask that you would speak through me and... and uh, Help us to listen to your spirit this morning. I thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. True love. So many people are searching for it. So many people want it, right? In fact, there's many who expect to be loved truly. We don't expect to be loved falsely or hypocritically. We want people to love us truly how they should. There's even some people that demand it. And I think, actually, if we're true with ourselves, we could demand that in some sense or another. We want people to love us truly. We expect it. We demand it. We search for it. Yet, if we're honest again with ourselves, there are very few people that are actually willing to give it in return. We want unbridled devotion from those people who are near to us. We want their affection. We want attention to our needs. We want someone to love and to care for us in that way. But the human nature wants it on our own terms. We want it on our own terms. We want it on our schedules and according to our expectations. And I think we can all agree, sometimes those can be flawed, can't they? Sometimes those expectations can be off. But yet, if somebody doesn't meet those expectations, our expectations of them loving us, we're very quick to say what? Well, they don't truly love me. And it's that line of thinking that has led to a landscape of broken marriages, of broken families and broken relationships. All because of the basic of the basic understanding of what love truly is, is flawed. The world does not know what true love is. Our sinful human nature doesn't know what true love is. 
We know what selfish love is. We know how we define what love is. But the right biblical understanding of true love is not in the world. And so that's why we as God's people, as we're trying to be a light to the world, we must have the right biblical understanding and the right biblical actions when it comes to this very basic part of life. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's he's hitting on some basics of Christian living. I think we could all agree, love is a basic Christian attribute, isn't it? After all, God is love, so shouldn't God's people know what love is? And Paul is hitting on these things after he's reminding us of all that God has done for us and how we ought to serve Him for all of that and showing this that as we humbly submit, we become this vital, uniquely gifted part of His local body. He begins to launch into some very basic principles of Christian living. And that's what the rest of chapter 12 is. It's this grouping of powerful one-line sentences that are packed full of meaning. And we're going to spend some time unpacking those. Because we need to have the understanding of the basic tenets of Scripture. Think of, think of some of these successful businesses. A successful business is, is one that does the basic things right and it does them in repetition. Think of some of the pretty big restaurants like In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A or Raising Cane's. It's not like they've got a very big menu, do they? They do one thing and they do it right and they do it over and over and so people go there, right? Well, Now, the church is of a much higher importance and calling than a business, but there's a principle there. In reality, we as God's people are called to do just a few things in God's power and with His help. We're called to do a few basic things to do them well and to do them in repetition. So it's important that we understand the very basic things like love. You know, sometimes we can come to a message and, oh, we're going to talk about love. Well, I know about love. Well, let's make sure we do so that we're loving rightly. Because if that's off, it can mess a lot of things up, can't it? If a Christian is not loving like he or or she should, it can mess up some people's lives. And likewise, if a church is not loving like she should, it can mess up some things, right? So we need to understand this very basic principle. That core part of us, love, that core part of human makeup is actually pretty hard to define. If I could say, what is love? I'm going to get very different responses from each of you, right? Very different definitions. It's something that's really hard to put your finger on. Is it an emotional thing? Or is it something in your mind? Is it something you do? Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it spiritual? Yes. (laughs) To all of them. Right? Love touches all those different levels. And the very fact that we can feel or experience something on all those levels is actually a distinct marker of God's design in us. It's His fingerprint on our makeup. 
of the fingerprint of our Creator. The fact that we can love shows that we are created in His image. And we can love a lot of different things, right? We can love a lot of things differently, too. Does that make sense? So, I will tell you, I love my wife and my kids. I love them a lot. I love church. I love all of you. I love God. And you understand what I'm talking about. And then I can also say, well, you know what? I also love my car and I love coffee and I love the mountains. And you still know exactly what I mean. But it's a different level, isn't it? Hopefully. Hopefully my car is not on the level of my wife. For some people that might be so. Coffee's pretty high up there, though. (laughs) I don't know. But you understand what I mean when I say love. There's a different level, right? That's one of the downfalls of the English language. No wonder it's so hard to define when we talk about love. It's not that way in other languages, specifically what is called koine or common Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. Now, don't space out because we're going to talk about languages because it's pretty important. If we believe every word of the Bible matters, then this matters. Because Scripture will use some pretty specific words that mean some things when it uses the word love. So when you see the word love in your Bible, know that there's a a word in the original language behind it. So just to give you a couple, when when you see the word love in Scripture, the Bible could be using words like eros in Greek. And that means a physical attraction. The physical love that we could feel. Like the love, the physical love between a man and a wife. It could also use the Greek word storge, which means a family love. You know how that feels, right? You just love your family. There's times I'll sit at home and the kids are running around and my wife's doing whatever she's doing and you just feel that love. Like, wow, I love my family. You know what that that kind of love feels like? Well, there's there's a word in Greek for that. Another word that is used is phileo which means this brotherly love, this deep affection. And that's what we most commonly mean when we say we love something. We have this deep-seated affection for something. We, We love something. But there is one more, and it's one with a deeper meaning, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Agape. Familiar with that term? You've heard that before? Agape love? And that's the word that's used here in Romans 12 when Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. In fact, it's used all over Scripture. And it speaks of a love that is deeper than just emotion. Sometimes it's a love that's given and not returned. Sometimes it's a love of the will when one person chooses to love another when there's Maybe not anything lovable in that other person. It's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that is strong in spite of circumstances. If I could put it quite simply, it is a Christ-like love. The love that is most simply and most clearly described in the phrase, For God so loved the world. 
It is the love that God has for us. It is the love that Christ shows to us. It is true love. True love. You want an example of true love? You look at God. You look at Christ and all that He has done for us. That is the bar. That is the standard. We'll dive into that a little bit as we go. To give you a a better description, could you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13? We're going to be back here in a few weeks and spending some time here, but if you want to know what this kind of love is, 1 Corinthians 13 is a very good place to look. We could start there in verse 1 as Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that word right there, maybe is love in your translation, charity in the authorized virgin, it is agape in Greek. It is this agape love. Okay? He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, and become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Just noise. Ding, 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 ding. If there's not love in my heart. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am what? Nothing. I could be the most a spiritually appearing person, and I could do all these great things and say I have all this faith, but if I don't have true love in my heart, it's for nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Okay, well, what is this charity? What does it look like? What is this true love? that we need to have. Well, here's a description of it. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. There's no pride in love. Verse 5, It does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, or does not keep records of wrongdoing. Verse 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. That gives you an idea of what this love is. And like I said, we're going to spend some more time in it, but that should kind of fill out what true biblical love is. And I'll tell you right now, when you look for love in the world, you're not going to find any of what we just read. You're going to find the opposite. You're going to find selfishness. You're going to find pride. You're going to find impatience and envy. You're going to find a love that expects something out of you first. But that's not the love that God has for us now, is it? We've experienced love. We know what it feels like and we know that it is a gift when it's right. We know it's a way that God can be seen in our lives. 
And the, Paul, the command that Paul gives in Romans 12 is a very important one. It's what I want to spend some time. If you remember what the text said, it said love without hypocrisy. He doesn't just say, hey, go and love. Just love each other. Period. Next sentence. No. He says love without hypocrisy. Love can be wrong sometimes, can't it? People can love wrongly. They can love the wrong things. Or they can love, uh, they can be misguided. They can be misdirected. They can misuse love. And the failure to love as we should can actually hurt people, right? Does that make sense? When we should be loving people, if we do so wrongly, we can actually end up hurting someone else. And what is one of the most evident markers of God and one of the ways that He can be most clearly seen can be so distorted by sin that God is not seen at all. And sometimes, and this is a sad, heartbreaking reality that needs to be corrected and needs repentance, God's people can be the worst at it. God's people can love in a hypocritical way. Why else would Paul say that to a church? Right? Now, you're familiar with the term hypocrite. That's what that word dissimulation means. You're familiar with the term hypocrite. Um, But I don't know if we really know what it means. We usually say it's somebody who says one thing and does another. Right? Does that sound familiar? Is that what you would say if I asked you? We're familiar with it, right? And that's, that's certainly, that works. But that's not altogether accurate for what the word really is. The word hypocrite is literally one of those words you bring from another language. Like tortilla or quesadilla or baptism. <laughs> right? It's, it's from another language. And the Greek word is hupokritos. Okay? You know what it means? It's an actor. It's an actor. Means to decide or speak or act under a false part. To pretend. To pretend. Pretend. So, if you were to go to the theaters of the day, of the time of the writing of the New Testament or ancient Greek theaters, you're not watching something on the screen. You're watching people perform the roles, right? And... Oftentimes, one person would play multiple roles. So they'd have three or four parts, sometimes in the same scene. And they're not going to go back and change into costume and come out again, no. You know what they would do? To differentiate between the roles, they'd hold up a mask. And now they were playing this part. Maybe they changed their voice or whatever, but they'd put up a mask. And when it came to the next part, they'd put up another mask. Pretending to be somebody else. That is the meaning of hypocrite. And how fitting a description for the way that we can be sometimes. Some people profess and declare their love. But they prove by action that they're just pretending. That they're just acting. Changing for the situation, being somebody that they're not. 
simulating their love. It's very hard nowadays to find somebody who is sincere, isn't it? It's hard to find somebody who is sincere, somebody who is true, because so many people lie, don't they? And they do it boldly and unashamedly. And they don't, they don't care if you know they're lying or not, but that's, it seems like the society we live in, people are not afraid to lie. They'll do it to your face. And it's very hard to find somebody who's sincere. People are masking over their feelings, although thinly, unconvincingly, And I'm sure you're like me. You're tired of false words that have been spoken. You're tired of false commitments and broken promises. Never kept, but always broken. And sometimes you get blamed for it. (laughs) And you get called the same. After all, liars and hypocrites are usually the first and the loudest ones to call everyone else the same. So true love, you're looking for true love in today's world? There's part of us that says, good luck with that. Now we ought to expect that of the world that is lost in their sins. But it's a great disappointment and a flat out failure due to sin when you find people in the church that act the same way. Quick to speak of their love, yet slow to show it in action. That shouldn't be that way. And so I want to talk about changing that. We need to love with a true love. Let love be without dissimulation. Now, right before we dive in, we start taking uh, a look at some of these things, I need you to do something. I need you to stop. Stop it. Because I know what you're doing in your head if you're anything like me. You're running down the list. Oh, this sounds like so-and-so because they don't do this and they don't do that and this person's like that. And you've got the list running down your head of people that have hurt you in this way. And how much they've failed you and how big a hypocrites they are. And amen, pastor, let them have it so they can feel guilty for how they've treated me. (laughs) Stop that because you're probably on the top of somebody else's list too. For the same thing. We're all guilty of this in some way, aren't we? We all have failed to love truly as God would have us to. We need to focus on us. You focus on you. Let the Word speak to your heart. This question has pressed into my own heart and it must press into yours as we we take time with this. How have I failed in this? How have I not loved like I should? That's what I need to worry about first. Besides, are we not a Christian? One who is to be Christ-like and as we read in 1 Corinthians 13, not keep a record of evil? True love does not keep a record of evil? And aren't we to be forgiving as Christ removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more? So now the question we have is not how other people have failed, but how have I failed? The command is to love sincerely, and it is one that is not to be ignored. So 
Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. I want to just look at one principle. We'll only have time for one this morning. As we begin to consider what true love is. We know love is a wonderful thing, but it can be messed up because of sin. We know we have the the bar of Christ and what His love is. So now what we need to do is kind of bring that into our own hearts. Okay, I know what true love is. We'll look at it just a little bit more before we're done. And I know how it gets messed up and how I can fail. Alright, so what do I need to do to love someone truly? Matthew chapter 22, I want to take you to a statement Jesus says here. and Look at verse 34. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. When the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, now they're talking to Jesus, and they're trying to catch him in his words. Verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Which is the number one commandment? What's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus say? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Jesus says, you want to know what God's requirements are? You want to know what sums up all of the Old Testament? These two commands, love God, love your neighbor. He said, on these two commandments, everything hangs, everything, everything hangs on that. We are to be true in our love to God, and we are to be true in our love to others. And with all things, the two are connected. See, True love has got to start vertically before it works out horizontally. We need to be right in our love to God so that we can be right in our love to others. That's why Jesus puts them in the order that He does. Love God with all that you are, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. It's got to be in place in our own heart with God, rightly. Then it can be in place for others, rightly. And if we're going to move forward as a church, busy and building the work of God and reaching the community and doing what God has called us to do, we've got to get this basic thing right. We've got to love God right and we've got to love others right. And actually, thirdly, what we're going to add, we need to love each other right. So let's start with that first one and this is what we'll consider this morning just for a short time longer. If I could ask you a question, I would ask this. Do you truly love God? Ask that of yourself. Do I truly love God? And really, we could just start right here with what Jesus said in verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Well, the question is, do you? Do you love Him with all that you are? Or do you just say that you do? We're very quick to say that. Nobody here is going to say, "Um, I don't love God. We're all going to say, yes, we're not stupid. (laughs) 
We know it. we should love God. We know it's right and smart to love God. Okay, we say it. We'll put up the mask and say, I love God. But behind it all, do we really? With all that we are. I mean, all your heart. Is all your heart given to God? All your affections, all your desires. we got a lot of desires for things in this life, right? We want to get this. We want to go there. We want to be this person. There's a lot of desires that are in our heart. And those, let me just say right now, those things aren't necessarily bad. The problem is, when we place those desires and those affections above and before God so that they take preeminence. What Jesus is saying is, uh, when he says Do you, uh, you should love the Lord your God with all thy heart, he's not saying you can't love anything else or like anything else but the Bible and church, and that's it. No, my heart goes for my wife. Does that make sense? Probably wrong phrasing, but my wife has my heart. My kids have my heart. They, they have this piece of my heart that I love them dearly with. But the whole of my heart, the primary focus of my desires and my longings is to be God. Desiring Him, wanting to know more of Him. And then everything else will fall in its proper place. But do we love Him first and foremost in our heart? Or with our soul, our life? Is your life God-centered? Is that the tone of your life? When somebody speaks of you, they know who you are and, and that you love God and that you serve Him. Or are you the the fill-in-the-blank guy? Known for something else but Him. Your mind, are you thinking of Him constantly, of His words and His promises? That's that's the, the, the question. Does He have all of you? Do you love Him with all that you are? Or is He competing for room? And this love that you say you have for Him is simply a mask you put on to come to church. Oh, it's church time. Time to be church, Ryan. Let's go. I love God. God is so good. Yay, yay, yay. And then you go back and then you go home and you take the mask off and you're the real person. Which might happen to be the work you or the money you or the sinful you, whatever it may be. Is our love for God hypocritical? Is it just an act? Or is it something that we love Him with all that we are? By far, when it comes to truly loving, this is where we're going to be, this is where we fail because we let other things take first place in our affections. It's easy to say that we love God and to speak of it over and over. But all of us need to just take a step back and truly look at our lives and say, do we? Or are there times I'm just pretending? (laughs) Sometimes we say we love God and then we go and do whatever incarnation we want to do. Pray, sure, at mealtimes or when I'm sick. Read the Bible? Um, <clears throat> yeah. If Facebook isn't popping with political goodness and Instagram's not on fire and I've watched all of my YouTube and all of my TV shows for the day, maybe I'll think about cracking open the Bible. 
If we loved God like we love our cell phones, we'd be doing pretty dang good. That little box sees more of our face than God does. And we're all guilty, aren't we? Go to church? Yeah, I'll go if I'm not busy. Outreach? Going and talking to strangers about God? Literally, if I have nothing else on the face of this planet to do, maybe I'll go. That's what we do. And then we say, I love you so much, God. (laughs) Think of how that attitude would work in a marriage. It's not going to work, much less with God, our Creator. But yet we do it so often, and we think it's fine, and it's no big deal. And what Jesus says is, hey, commandment number one, love me with all that you are, all your heart, your soul, and your mind. In fact, he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So that's the question. Do you or is it just an act? Now listen, with things like this, it's easy for me to point out where we fail and hammer on the negatives and our failures. We can all do that. I want to be a help. That's the question, right? Okay, how do I fix it? Yeah, I know I messed up. I know I do stupid things and I love stupid things and I I don't love God like I should. Okay, how do I fix it? How do I reignite that love for God? Because chances are, after you were saved, man, you loved Him with everything, didn't you? Nothing else was more important. Nothing else was more mind-blowing than the change that had just happened. I'm saved. I've got eternal life. There's this change that has happened in me. And nothing else really mattered more than that, right? But time goes along and you kind of fall out of love with God, don't you? Well, how do I reignite that? Let's finish looking at that. So can you turn in your Bibles to 1 John? Go towards the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. And right there before, you'll run into 1, 2, and 3 John. 1 John, I want you to see in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Look in verse 1. Behold, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. (laughs) Behold, that means look. Look and understand. Understand in your mind as you look at what kind of love God has shed upon us. Look at the kind of love God has given you. Look how much God loves you. When is the last time you stepped back and you truly considered how much God loves you? (laughs) Look across all aspects of your life. Look at the family that you have. Look at the blessings that He's given. Look at the, all the ways, he's, all the things He's brought you through, all the times He showed and He's proved His love for you over and over and over. Behold the manner of love God has given us. And most importantly, 
He loved us when we were unlovable and undeserving, right? With nothing to offer. There is nothing I could have done or given or anything for God. All I was was a failure to to keep His law. I was a disappointment to Him. I was walking away from Him. And yet, He loved me so much, He gave me His all, didn't He? Chapter 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When is the last time you stood back and you beheld that love? If you ever doubt how much God loves you, look at the cross. That for us who were vile and sinful and broken and messed up, separated from Him, He loved us so much in that brokenness, in that sinfulness that He sent His Son to save us. To wash away our sins as He gave His life for us on that cross. To to forgive and to remove our sins and to make us new. God loves you that much that He sent His Son to be the propitiation. And He did that when we did not love Him. Romans chapter 5 puts it wonderfully. We don't have time to go there, but it talks about humanity. Maybe sometimes we'll give our life up for somebody that's good. Maybe if we know it, for a righteous man, somebody might dare to die, but God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for you or for me when we got clean, when we got holy, or because we've been coming to church, or because we had everything right. No, He died for us in the depths of our sin when we're messed up and everything's a wreck. And we hate Him. We walked away from Him. It doesn't matter. He died to save us out of that. That's love. Behold that love that God has for you. When's the last time you let that amazing grace and you let that amazing love fill your heart and break it and overwhelm you? God loves us so much. He loves us so much. Even when we choose to ignore Him and we mess up willingly, He still forgives us, doesn't He? Like, I know better. I know I shouldn't do this. And yet I choose to, right? And then what what do we end up doing? Oh, Lord, I messed up. I'm so sorry. What does he say? I forgive you because I love you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, right? God loves us so much. Behold that love. It's that love that awakens ours. Look at verse 19. We're moving to a close. Look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. 
It is His love for us that awakened our eyes to our sinful condition, to the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins. And it's that love that sparked my love for Him. Why do I love God? Because He loved me when I didn't love Him. When I was unlovable, when I, was, when I turned my back on Him, yet He still loved me enough to draw me to Himself. We love God because God loves us. And you know what? That brought me to salvation and it still brings me back where I need to be. Does that make sense? I still love Him because He loves me truly. And when I find myself straying, all I need to do is consider how much God loves me. (laughs) Even in face of all the things I do, He still loves me. And you know what that does? If you truly consider that, if you truly spend time thinking about that, there's a change that happens in your heart. Just the same as it it did to draw you to to place your faith in Christ. There was a change, right? Wow, He loves me so much. How How could He love me and I'm a sinner and He died for me? That change, that that drawing still happens. Man, I, I, look, I've done some dumb things and I've put God way down on the list, but yet He still loves me. It makes us love Him more, doesn't it? It makes us love Him more. And it changes our heart to where reading the Bible, coming to church, tithing, witnessing, being the best husband or wife or all that Scripture calls us to. That becomes something you no longer do out of a sense of duty to something you do because you love Him so much now. So you know what? I want to be with Him. I want to know more about Him. I want to tell others about the love that He's given me. Behold the love of God. Maybe you need to consider that today. To truly behold His love for you and let it reignite yours. Let's close in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. So just a couple pages over. Consider the love God has for you. Let your heart be drawn in it. This is something we need to consider as well. That's going to motivate us to do what we need to do. Revelation 2 and verse 1. This is Jesus as He's speaking to a letter to a church at Ephesus. I just want you to notice something here. Under the, Revelation 2 and 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. You guys have been keeping on doing some pretty good things. But notice verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, remember, Behold the manner of love that God has for us. Remember, Jesus says, therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent. What's the first love that we have? 
Is it not Jesus? God? For loving us so much that He sent His Son to die for us? Isn't that the first love that we have that captivates our hearts and drives our life to do whatever we want to, whatever God wants us to do? That's what the church is built on. Jesus Christ and all that He's done and all that He calls us to is the chief cornerstone. We are built on Him. We are believers who have been changed by His love for us, who submit themselves to serve Him in love and then proclaim His love to the world. His love for us and the love we have in return for Him is the cornerstone, it is the heartbeat, it is the life of the church, and it is the motivator for all that we do. So it would do us good to step back and behold how much He loves us. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Consider how much God loves you. In the family He's given you, yes. In the blessings that He's given you, yes. He says every good gift comes down from the Father above. James says that. God loves you and He's given those things. But above and beyond all of that, God loves you enough to send His Son to be the sacrifice for your sin. That Christ died for you to redeem you, to forgive your sins where you have fallen short. As was mentioned in the devotional this morning, as David laments over his sin, he says, I've sinned against you and you alone. Our sins have separated us from God, but God loves us enough to reach out and provide the way that we can be reconciled back to Him. Maybe you've been saved for a long time. You need to let that fact settle in again in your heart and let it again amaze you and draw you to Him. God loves me so much to save me. That, beloved, is true love. That is true love. And it is true love that will teach us and be the example for us as we go to love others. So maybe we need to get that right first before we start talking about loving others truly or loving each other truly. Let me ask a question. Do you truly love God? And if not, or if we're failing, let us look at how much He loves us. Let's bow our heads and then we'll have an invitation. Father, I thank You for this day. Thank You for the great love that You've loved us with, Lord, and all the many ways You have shown us, but none greater than in Christ. Lord, I, I, I ask now, even if there's one here that does not know You in the free pardon of sin, that You would show Your love to them and show them Christ crucified for their sins and that they might believe and place their faith in Him, Lord. I ask for those of us that know you and have been walking with you that you would draw our hearts again unto you. We might be strengthened in our love, reignited in our love for you, and we might truly love you with all that we are. Help me where I fail in this. Help us all, Lord. And let us be a church that is just so in love with you 
people can see it and hear it and feel it. Help me in my own heart, Lord. I ask that you do the work that only you can do among us as you draw or convict or strengthen whatever the need be, Lord. I ask you to do that by your Spirit now. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.